Hey y'all. So I wanted to say, I hope you're all staying safe and practicing self-care during these hellish times. We recorded this episode back in April, and I'm recording this message to you in June. Normally that wouldn't feel like too long ago, but truly, right now, April feels like a lifetime ago. So much has happened in the news since then. I urge everyone to sign every petition, demand justice for Breonna Taylor, donate to bail funds if you can, and remember that black lives matter, and that includes black trans lives. Keep social distancing, wash your hands, wear a mask, and also defund the police. Much love to all of you. Welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I'm joined by my lovely co-host, dumpster raccoon, pop culture critic, and newly minted Marvel writer. Ooh, Anthony Oliveira. Hello, everybody. Uh, and we have two huge big guns in pop culture with us today. Uh, first, we have TV and comic book writer... Uh, Daniel Kibblesmith. Welcome, Daniel. And we have pop historian... Jennifer Wright. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hello. We're big Buffy fans. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Independently of each other, we're two married people also, mm-hmm. uh, but we, we uh, were both Buffy fans. <laughs> there, are, there, are that, there are shows that Jennifer and I have turned each other on to, but we were Buffy fans uh, independently. Independently, yeah. Mm. I, I love that because I actually was assuming one of you got the other one into it because... That's always what I do when I date someone new. I'm like, okay, but we have to watch Buffy. And then we go through Buffy. <laughs> and that's a perfect early stages of the relationship show. Right. Like there's right, something in it? that show for everyone. Um, nobody's, I think, going to be mad about it. Or yeah. Yeah. if they are, it's a great litmus test that maybe this is. It would be a, it would be a weird test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so since both of you, it's your first time on uh, Jennifer, would you like to go first with your Buffy origin? Oh, sure. Um, my Buffy origin isn't that interesting. I started watching it <laughs> when I was a teenager. Um, and I watched it from the ton- top. Uh, yeah, I watched it a ton at the gym because um, oh. I would be on the treadmill and I'd want to watch something. And Buffy is the perfect show to watch when you're exercising. Like um, it's a good action sequence every six minutes. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very inspirational that if Buffy Summers can jump and kick so much in very high heel boots that <laughs> you should be able to run for like another 20 minutes. So, uh, so yeah, it is a perfect length of show and also just exactly the kind of show to watch if you want to go running. So, yeah. Do you remember your first episode? Um, I started at the beginning. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah, friends had just always told me I was really, really going to like it. So... <laughs> Yeah, I I just started and watched it all the way through. Huh, that's funny. Um, and Daniel, do you want to give us your Buffy origin story? Yeah, I had seen the movie, uh, and I remembered liking it. Um, but uh, obviously, some years had passed, and I was pretty young when the movie came out. When I saw it, it would have been you know new to VHS. And then I was very like, as a kid, I knew I wanted to to make movies and television. And I tried to be one of those like savvy nerd children who cared. <laughs> you know, when like UPN launched, and I pretended to understand what that meant because you know there was going to be a new Star Trek show, like that kind of thing. So I remember that there was a new Buffy the Vampire Slayer show on this new channel. And this was kind of at the beginning of what I now, you know, what we all kind of half jokingly called the golden era of television. And I remember watching it and being 
confused that it was good. Like I had this adolescent feeling that I couldn't really articulate. Why is this like, this is like the subject matter of this is, uh, is not something that we take seriously culturally. So why is this like a good show? And uh, I was younger than the the characters, so it was all very you know sexy and exciting. Uh, but that was that was my relationship with the pilot. But I didn't keep up. And then, like Jennifer, I started watching it on an elliptical machine because wow. it was high energy and it was about forty four minutes long. And because I had watched all of the Alias that was available to illegally download on Kazaa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also so, illegally downloaded it. I forgot that that was how I was getting it. It makes me feel better knowing that we're all at least around the same age. Yeah, <laughs> that's a real that's a real timestamp. I illegally downloaded Alias on Kazaa. I think, I think that like a, a scientist could figure out the minute I was born based on that. <laughs> uh, but we would get the box sets after that. I stopped, so I stopped illegally downloading. Uh, television shows, which is probably a good move. And um, because my whole family kind of got into it, we had the DVDs at that point. So I would I would binge watch and uh, I would watch one every day on, on an elliptical machine. I love that your family was into it because my mom was into it and that's how I got into it. Oh, cool. And my, mom's, my mom is 73, but she still loves Buffy. Well, yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> like when I we had James Marsters on and she was like, did you tell him I love him and I think he's a hunk? I was like, <laughs> I did actually, Mom. I did. <laughs> um, but thank you both for joining us today. We're here to discuss the penultimate season six, episode two to go. Uh, the episode itself, I don't know if you all caught this, the previously on, normally it's up until the episode before this, it was still Giles saying previously on Buffy. And this episode is Xander saying, here's what's happened. Here's what happened this oh. year. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, it was certainly very long. It felt like the longest previously on I have ever seen. And fucking bleak, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh, God, I don't like I fast forwarded once we got to like, I was like, oops, Mike's in that bathroom. Let me just I don't need to watch this recap. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, oh, I'm watching this on my old DVDs and there is no previously yeah. clip on on there. Yeah, I watch it on either Facebook or Hulu, and they have like the oh, Americans, on, you know? right? <laughs> <laughs> We've got it all, baby. It's our decadent previously on. <laughs> Listen, I feel like they're important only because in that the gift when they do that previously on, and it's like really cool, and it's got all the clips from you know every season from every episode, and I don't know. Well, and having not know. caught that this one was a departure from their formula, that's really interesting. That, and I think that speaks to the sophistication and like experimental nature of the show. That they were using that as an opportunity for kind of meta storytelling. That you change yeah. the narrator on the previously on because Giles is, you know, as we'll discuss, importantly absent. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah, yeah. I have like two notes on the recap, just saying how bleak it was. But yeah, um, I I had always read that the, uh, and I don't know whether this was true or not, that they were supposed to bring Giles in for Hell's Bells, but they didn't, so that we could get this like big surprise gasp at the end. And I do think while it was weird that he wasn't there, it's it, weird. It's very weird that he's not yeah. there. Yeah, because like like if we're thinking in the world of those characters, he would have been there, or at least they would have mentioned like, oh, Giles can't come because. 
Oh, I've chosen to lean into the idea that Giles and Anya should be together and he's not there because he's wow. not there. Wow. That's right. We skipped to chipping really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Explain this, explain this ship to me. I want to yes. understand everything. Okay, first of all, there are only two good men on Buffy. There's Giles uh-huh. and there's Clem. And that's it. Everybody right. else sucks. Right. And um, Clem's gay, so you really only have the one Exactly. There's man. one. Yeah. Um, I mean, Clem is like a beautiful inspiration. We should all be so lucky. Uh, just, <laughs> clearly, in this episode... I love seeing Clem. I love that he's just the best babysitter. The yeah. idea of giving a preteen girl like a taste test on different Doritos yeah, is such a, such a fun idea. He's willing to go out to a PG-13 movie. He's right. playing like really nice age-appropriate <laughs> activities to give yeah. this child that he's babysitting for free a fun yeah. evening. Yeah. Um, oh, Clem's just... What, what a gift to the world Clem is. But... <laughs> Um, that said, he is gay. So, yeah. yeah. The best yeah. ones always are. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. Debatable, but keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, the only other uh, character that you should want to be with or who seems like a non-rapist on Buffy, honestly, the bar is really low, is Giles. Just right. like this wonderful, attractive man who uh, is able to keep people in line while also having super cool teenage years uh, and also just being like a very attractive British professor who loves the smell of books. Mm-hmm. Um, e- everybody should have wanted to be with Giles. Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> during, the, during the Angel Spike debates that tore our country apart. I mean, during that bitter debate, like the the answer was right there. It was right in front of you, and people were just sleeping on it. But that's that's fine. Um, that's their loss, really. <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not wrong. Yeah. Um, I often think of how when I watch the show, you know, as a teenager, Giles felt so like, oh, he's like an old man. But now it's like, oh, he's kind of a babe. He's incredibly good looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's hilarious when that clicks. You're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I the key was cast on purpose. Yeah. I, I see it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like realistically, now he's he's actually probably not that much older than like the Giles that starts in the show probably isn't that much older than, you know, Ian right now in 2020. Oh, right? don't, like, I don't want to think about it. Oh, let's wow. not do that. <laughs> he's a grown up. <laughs> <laughs> he's a grown up. We're not. <laughs> Is this the first well, where he Clem is really Clem? Like I Ian, you've had your eye on the ball a little more closely. Like he does take a minute to finish baking as a character. Like yes. he's quite hostile yeah. to Buffy when they fir- we first meet him. Yeah, well, he's he's kind of just like there. I mean, he's there for the kitten poker, and but he's not. He's the one that's cheating. He has cards up his folds. Right. right. Yeah. But he doesn't really. He's not really like demony, but he's not like charming. He's just kind of like there. Well, you got to figure there's a medium amount of like, uh, like Star Trek style practical concern in there where it's like once you know how to make a head, right? Like once you have all the stuff you need to make Clem, it's like, well, we got, you know, we've got the, the mask. Yeah, like, might yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, but he was like, I remember his one of his first lines is to talk about how Buffy's skin is so tight he doesn't know how she can stand. He can stand yeah. it. Yeah, right? so he, yeah. It does take a while before we get this like avuncular babysitter figure that now sort of arrives fully formed in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the episode um, for Buffy's birthday, older and far away. That was when he started. Oh, that's to be right. like yes, yes, because yes. he's Spike's like 
friend date that he brings to the party and he's like oh we met before and he's like kind of like charming there right and he becomes um, the sounding board he sort of develops as a character as a sounding board for spike's problem which is what yeah his primary function is here too right yeah or the yeah. previous episode yeah yeah and so yeah i mean that, that makes me happy that the guy who played clem is also a good guy um yeah. but uh yeah uh getting into the episode so we start right where we left off in the previous episode um willow has just flayed warren and then turned him into dust uh and they're like literally i i don't think i realize this it took me longer than i'd care to admit that War, uh, the last line willow delivers in villains is one down and so the next episode's titled two to go because that's would be the you know next line um there's also start two off- episodes to go Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it does it all gets it all gets very meta in a way that i find genuinely brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so this i i put in my notes um i can appreciate that we actually stopped to have xander be like i feel sick because oftentimes we don't get that pause of like oh they just really experienced something terrible yeah, and... the violence is really real on this season. Um, yes. Yeah, it, it feels, maybe just to me, it feels um, much scarier and much more emotional than it does on most of the other seasons. Yeah. Well, well, right, because when Glory, even though Glory was, like, super powerful, it was still just, like, two super-powered, like, people punching each other. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't feel, I don't know, right? Yeah, like we weren't was... slaying anybody alive. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right and this is also this is also like the reason he gets flayed alive is because tara gets shot, shot. right yeah. I mean, right this, this is the this is the out of your comfort zone season this is the yeah. violence has consequences and yeah. it is destroying all of our destroying all of our brains season yeah yes. <laughs> are you I, this is the first time we've had you on are you guys fans of season six i'm a general? huge fan of season six i will oh. defend season six to the death i think it is the best season of buffy i think oh. it is the articulation of the feminism of buffy um what it means to be a strong woman in the world and what that looks like and oh. how power works for women and how it works for men and uh, what desirable outcomes might be for most of those people. I think it's a season where Buffy has to deal with being sexually assaulted. And it's a season where Willow has to deal with the fact that she's been powerless for a lot of her life. And I think she brings that up in this episode. And I think those are themes that are always there in Buffy. But this is a season that really grapples with what the outcomes can be. Mm. Now I'm going to sound like a real asshole. <laughs> Give me your hot take, Daniel. You know, I, I think Don't you I, mansplain season yeah. six to us, Daniel. Uh, no, I think it's I think it's good because I binge watched it on DVD. I don't have any. I don't really make the distinctions that people would when if they were watching it live and kind of keeping up okay. with the keeping up with the creators behind the scenes and stuff. But the thing that I always say immediately after Jennifer's extremely eloquent speech is, I like the one with the big snake. <laughs> uh, no, I think that one's good too. <laughs> I think season I think season six is I think that season six is really, really good and strong and interesting. But I think that everything that that Jennifer just said uh, is true because it is a departure. Uh, and I think that there's there's trade-offs uh, when you test right. the limits of your beloved thing. But a sixth season is a really good time to do that. I mean, if you're going to break it, you know, go for it. Why not? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, they, uh, it really changes registers, right? Like, the big snake is a way of thinking about patriarchy and the phallic, and then, oh, yeah. like, actually stayed, like, season six collapses the metaphors in a lot of ways, right? Like, things kind of stop being metaphors. Like, I was just thinking while I was watching this today that this episode probably has more uses of the word bitch than most TV shows have in their whole run. Like, yeah. it really is, like, it really wants to bring right up to the surface that this is about misogyny. Um, in so many specific ways and real ways, like in a way a person might actually encounter, whereas I have not yet fought in a giant snake in my life, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Jennifer, you made notes about that last night, the way that that's expressed in incidental ways too, like um, uh, Anya and the- Yeah, the... one of my favorite scenes is um, Anya at the jail because Willow's coming um, and Anya is confronted by the jailer who will not let, um, oh, what are their two stupid names? Uh, Andrew. Uh, Jonathan and Andrew. Jonathan and Andrew. Sorry, those are very normal names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a woman who has demonstrated actual magical powers, she has teleported in and out of this jail. She has cell. teleported in and out of this jail, and she is entirely stopped by this overweight elderly man at the jail and she is so politely explaining to him like you have to understand something very bad is going to happen you have to let these men out of the jail you're not prepared to deal with this and the guy just kind of keeps chuckling at her like okay little lady <laughs> and um it, it is an experience that i think so many women have where um a man who you know is stupider than you is standing in between <laughs> you and your goal. And she's smiling at him really politely and she's like nodding her head and she's she's trying to get him on board as sweetly as she can. And, and his own safety up. as well. well his, his own, own safety. safety. And My then God. Willow shows up and just blasts the hole through the jail. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I think a lot of women would probably like to be Willow when... Uh, <laughs> When they're in those situations. <laughs> this episode plays that game throughout. Like, when do we lose sympathy for Willow if we lose sympathy for Willow, right? Yeah. Um, but also that's like at the macro level what the season is doing, right? Like Buffy is being confronted by these villains who are simply not up to her level, right? Like over and over yeah. again in the season, people are like, really? Like, this, like even normal again has this recurring refrain where it's like, you used to imagine like gods and like giant snakes. And now it's just like, three dudes like that's it like one of the yeah. most insulting things about what warren does to tara is that she's so much better than him as a person and this yes. useless awful man has the capacity to take her out of the world right yes yes i thought that was such an interesting choice at the time because uh certainly binge watching it and i'm probably if you watched it in real time as well i had i was so conscious of the escalation of the big bads because that's kind of how the show was structured uh, and, uh, you know, in season five, they fight a god, which they've never mm -hmm. done before. And you can't really top a god. So you start, mm -hmm. right. to, you have to think sideways. You have to start dealing with, you know, uh, different metaphors mm -hmm. and a kind of, you know, weird uh, asymmetrical villains because you've kind of maxed out the old game, right? Mm -hmm. So now they have to be, now they have to be disarmed in this kind of creepier way. 
Well, it's one of the things that I love about season six, too, with Spike's story and Willow's story. What if the real villains are your friends? Um, like, it's very easy to fight and try to destroy people who were virtual strangers or people who were obviously 100% badly intentioned. But what do you do when your friends reveal that they can be terrible, too? And I think Buffy keeps trying to excuse it right up until the end like she doesn't really fully feel like willow has crossed a line even when she has flayed someone right alive. yes the goalposts yeah. do keep moving right like yeah. if, she, yeah. if she kills warren that's it it's like well warren sucked if she kills yeah. 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 that's the line she can't come back from. that's really interesting i hadn't thought about it that way and that also that also fits really neatly into the trajectory of the sort of you know, the other metaphor, which is adolescence, right? That yeah. this was a high schooler in puberty stepping into her power because now she's a 20-something, uh, effectively a parent, and it's all the people who came up with her are suddenly train wrecks, and they're not together yeah. the way that she's together in adulthood. And you yes. have to start reevaluating, you know, your, your ride-or-die people in a different way when you enter your late 20s and early 30s. Or maybe you have to start seeing things in a more nuanced way. Like I, you know, I, I, I strongly believe that even when our friends fuck up, you, you try to stick with them and help them be better and hope that they want to get better. And, you know, I, I think that's part of being an adult, too. I think it's part of realizing that you can't completely cavalierly cut people out of your life the mm -hmm. way that maybe you do when you're in college and you feel like there will be infinite friends who gives a shit. Let's talk this <laughs> right. <a> while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I, you're convincing me that maybe season six is better than I think it is <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I have to say when I watched it when it aired I did love it um it's one of my favorite iterations of the Scoobies is seasons five and six like I think while I love Cordelia and I love Oz I think that they really had a really strong group with Tara and Anya as like the partners of the main characters and I don't know I just I think the group was really strong in those seasons I will say going through for the podcast, sometimes I'm like, I run out of ways to say I'm tired of watching them just sit around a house. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we did end up watching another episode of this yesterday because I couldn't um, realize exactly how Willow became a drug addict. I somehow forgot yeah. that part. Uh, so we watched Wrecked, the episode where she gets into oh, um, magic slash flying heroin, I guess. Right, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. The episode yeah. that's like, that just discards the idea of doing a metaphor and it's just yeah. it's just her drug dealer's house it's yeah. just it's just yeah. a one for one yeah but we did notice that the sea story on that episode was dawn is bad at making pancakes <laughs> yes. the episode where dawn makes not just a pancake but also a quesadilla <laughs> wow. and uh, yeah it's a lot of hanging out in the kitchen a lot of that it yes. is yeah uh, and, you know, for me, the, the the thing is, there's so many episodes that end with the beat of they're getting better. Mm -hmm. And then the next episode is, nope, still shit. And while that's oh. real, <laughs> I still felt like I needed less of the beat of, look, now it's better at the end of every episode, only to go back to, like, it's not better. Yeah. There's just, like, a little too much of that. But I do think I really like these this two-part finale. I think it's really great. Um, So... Yes, yeah, so Anya teleports. The cop doesn't believe her because, of course, um, 
<laughs> I have in all caps, Dark Willow said, fuck the police. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that Dark Willow immediately becomes a very dramatic villain. Like she's just standing there pulling out pieces of the wall piece by piece and like not worried about the police all like holding their gun. Like she doesn't give a shit because she's this, you know, super powered villain and she's leaned into it, right? Yeah. The nice thing of having Andrew and Jonathan in the scene is that you have two characters who can literally provide like the pop culture yes. footnotes being referenced. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, she's Dark Phoenix. She's Darth Rosenberg, yeah. right? Like yeah. we're getting, yeah. we're told where to look to read this text, which I really enjoy <laughs> as a beat. Um, <laughs> I also don't love that this ends up going to the drug metaphor place. I've complained about this before as like, I think, Willow as a character is more interesting. This breakdown is more interesting if it's about power. I actually think Dark Willow's best scene is in the previous episode where she's like, she tells Buffy, I'm not coming back from this. I will get revenge. And then that will be it. I would just sort of burn myself out. And I think she works best when there's no, I hate where she ends with this episode where she becomes snarky because I feel like that's not a genuine expression. That's like adding an irony to grief that doesn't feel right to me for the way this story ends up playing out. Um, but I love this early scene, even though I don't know, the directing is maybe a little inert, but I like the idea, the tableau yeah. of what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely yeah, feels, I know. Because... Uh, one thing I always realize when I'm watching Buffy is that the it feels as good as the things that it influenced uh, right now. Like it feels when people are talking, it feels as good as an episode of, you know, The Flash or something at its best. Uh, mm -hmm. When they start doing the special effects and stuff, you have to start watching. Oh, they're Martha. terrible. They're just yeah. appallingly yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. You have to I mean, one of the reasons it's a good exercise ago. show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it yes. basically also sometimes is just a radio show where it's like, I'm going to look away and imagine much better visuals for this part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yes, you're, you are all right. I, I always feel like when I introduce someone new to the show, that's, I have to be like, but remember this was like 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> a little bit, but I agree on the, I agree on the, the drug thing as well, because something that hadn't occurred to me while I was watching it, but that felt a little off was that if it is about an addiction to, you know, a substance or a symbol for a substance that kind of absolves her. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's why, right. I mean, I think otherwise, uh, I think it's an easy out to say, like, oh, it wasn't her. It was the drugs. Mm -hmm. yeah. She was it's addicted fine. to magic. She was yeah. addicted to magic. So now she's back and it's fine. And it's much more interesting if, yeah, if it's about power and grief. Yeah. 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 If those things can uh, genuinely change you into a worse person. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, they have him for Buffy, but they never really had to grapple with that. Buffy never has a moment where she's like, okay, I've got super strengths. Why don't I just fuck shit up? Like, why don't yeah. I rob a bank? And this episode keeps toggling between how much I'm supposed to care about the ethics of what's happening. Like, I, like, I've complained again about this before, but <laughs> but like, why why exactly is it wrong to kill Warren is not a question that I think is adequately answered within the structure of the show um, because the, the question of human versus demon has collapsed so completely by this point that it's like, well, you could, so you're saying you could kill Clem and it would be fine, but Warren is out of bounds. Like 
I would have preferred the point you were making earlier, Jen, where it's like it. I would want the metaphor of friendship and like we have to protect Willow as a person to come more to the fore here than it does. Well, well you know, we with that every once in a while, they'll kind of come back to like the goalpost moving that you were talking about. Yeah. Like they will occasionally check in with the idea that it is about Willow crossing some kind of line that she can't return from. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's also a season about how many excuses we'll make for our friends and right. what a friend <laughs> looks like and whether, uh, you know, Clem, despite, uh, despite being like your Republican uncle, maybe is also <laughs> the best babysitter that, you know, right. So. <laughs> right. well, I, I mean, I've said this a few times. I do think that was the one thing Angel did do a little better was showing that it wasn't all black and white with like demons versus humans. Like there can be, you know, like they have Lorne who's like part of the gang and like, isn't evil and just has a bar and wants to like exist as an owner of a bar. Uh, And I think that Clem is one of the first times on Buffy that they start to blur that line. Uh, That's why I really appreciate his introduction. Um, And they, I mean, they kind of continue with that, but Angel does, that's the one thing Angel does better. Um, I do the, that's the thing that bothers me with this season, especially is because yeah, the goalposts keep moving and the, they keep trying to tell you what the moral is here, but then they change it too right. a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, this and that's is always going to be a problem with something like, I mean, it's the problem the dark Phoenix story has too, right? Like right. how do we then forgive this character after they've done these horrible things? And one of the ways you have to do that is be like, well, okay, but Warren and Rack, who I don't even know if Rack is human or not, they right, kind of yes. deserve it, right? And like they have yeah. to be excused somehow. Um, the stronger, I would have, I like the beat where she's dissociating and like it's now Willow is being discussed in the third person by Willow. I like that yeah. beat a lot where it's like something else is now in charge. And I think that would have been a stronger direction to take it than the drug stuff personally, yeah. but I don't know. That also rings true as like a as like a coping mechanism as well. Uh, right, yeah, trauma in the second to... person. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I mean, I think Willow also at the end of this, she assumes she's going to blow up the world. Like, I think Willow is so horrible in part because of this, in part during this episode, because she wants to um, just cut off every connection she has. She wants there to be nothing tethering her to anything there anymore. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to spoil it. For anyone who hasn't seen the next <laughs> episode after this episode, I want to meet the person who's but, listening to this who's like, "What happens next week? What's gonna happen?" <laughs> but I, I think that's why it's so valuable that Xander will not give up on her. That, yeah, like, yeah. even though she has been the worst she could possibly be, there is still somebody there who says, "You are my best friend, and if you're gonna end the world, I want to be there with you when you do it." And mm-hmm. that's I'm gonna what's cry. in the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, Anthony, keeping us on track. <laughs> oh, never. I'm so <laughs> I just pointed at you. being chronological. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then they, Willow gets there. It's Anya. She blasts her with some power. And this, I, this is another thing that they don't quite define that well is, shouldn't Anya, she's a vengeance demon. She's got powers. She like can't seem to fight back with willow which is a thing that bothers me a little bit right because she's kind even of got in... disney's aladdin rules right like yeah. is like all powerful but only to further an end right I well guess. because so in season seven when they go to confront her about the wish she did that created that like demon that turned that girl's ex-boyfriend into a demon that's like an underground thing that ate her dog 
her and Spike go blow for what blow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm describing this, I'm like, <laughs> how uh-huh. dare we take uh-huh. this show seriously? Go on. <laughs> yes, um, of course. <laughs> you know that happens sometimes. Um, but like her and Spike go blow for blow in the bronze. Like they're like beating each other up, and it's like she punches him across the room. He punches her across the room. And so, like, I feel like they just didn't decide. They, like, hadn't landed yet what Anya was going to do with her powers. So we're just like, she can teleport for now. Yeah. We're going to do that. That's it. Well, to quote uh, to quote Anya in this episode, in my notes, it doesn't work that way. Why not? Yeah. So that's when, that's when uh, she tells uh, uh, Andrew and Jonathan that she cannot teleport them to safety. She just very flatly says, it doesn't work that way. And that's when, you know, that's when my, like, Marvel movie brain kind of kicked mm-hmm. in. That's when, uh, you know, Thor turns to the camera and says, Captain America's not here because this is not their fights. It's, uh, right. it's just, sometimes you just got to get the superpowered people where they got to be. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I was really I mean my own like writing instincts are like ugh like what a they have to wait, hand wave so much out of the way here cuz they've put this character on the board who is so powerful and it's just like if you stare at it too long it will make you crazy so best not to stare at it too long. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, I guess it's like you know the same way Starlet Witch had to be knocked out a lot in the Marvel movies. It's like, well, we can't have her always be there to fix every fucking problem. Um, but that's just a thing that bothers me a little bit. Like, I don't know. I feel like she could have gotten, but also probably they didn't want to spend the budget. I'm putting the, uh, I almost said drag queen, the vengeance demon makeup on. <laughs> well, the real frustration really is that she has to be off the board power wise, but she has to be in every scene to pay off the Xander and Anya stuff. For yes. the finale, right? So it's like, so she has to keep oscillating between these two things, like teleportation works like this, and locating spells work like this, and like, oh, suddenly I can't tell where she is. It's very, it's very a lot, yeah. And I, yes. I, I just don't like to think about it. But so they escape, and we see that. And I, I know you mentioned it already, but Andrew, I know he makes a lot of nerdy references, and sometimes. So I was watching it. I watched it uh, Friday, and then I watched it again today, and um. Friday, I was like, ooh, some of his references border on Big Bang, but I forgive them because it's before Big Bang Theory was a show, because um, some of it feels like a little too cutesy, um, but I feel like back then we didn't have a lot of characters on TV that were referencing specific pop culture things. Right. Uh, Google and his having Dark Phoenix... been invented earlier this right. year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but his Dark Phoenix reference lands with me, and I... I, I think that's his best reference like i just because it makes sense right because that's what that's what's happening here um and again like you said a lot of season six is the subtext just becomes text um a lot of people have said that on the show this season but it works for me that that's the one that like yes that would make sense like i would if i were andrew and i were that gay nerd who's like on the run because this like witch has gone dark and is going to kill me I would probably make that reference. <laughs> As opposed to his complete Star Wars word salad later in the episode, which is completely uncorrect, uh, like unconnected. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny the way he can land something like he can do a Dark Phoenix reference on network television in what, like the early 2000s, which, yeah. I mean, that's like a mystery science theater, you know, like that's like when the, the mystery science theater gang references like a billboard in Winnetka. 
right? That's like for, right. that's for a very small handful of people. people. Uh, it was such a breath of fresh air for me to, to hear that stuff, even at the time, you know, watching it like a little, a little bit later mm-hmm. on, on DVD. And then for though, them to have those really finely honed deep cuts and then for him to oscillate wildly to something that's like, you know, maybe another writer was doing punch up later and didn't have right. the same <laughs> breadth of specific knowledge about Claremont Burn X-Men. It was like, yeah, yeah he's like, a, he's a real Yoda powered, <laughs> you know, Jedi Darth Vader yeah. Sith Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really it really is word salad Anthony. <laughs> yeah it's he does that speech about midichlorians later although yeah. i i have not said before how much i love tom lenk's choices in buffy yeah. like i really do think the andrew as a, a strangely nuanced character is almost entirely something he found on the page that i don't think was meant to be there um and i was just rewatching the episodes before this like the one where he's like clearly in love with warren and like he's actually strangely heartbreaking in it, where he's like, he never really loved hanging out with us. Like it's such a oh, odd yeah. choice. <laughs> he never bounces yeah. the ball the ball the way I expect, and I'm always happy to watch him do these runs, even when they're completely unconnected. It's you know, it's yeah, it was funny. I actually when I I like when I met Tom Lank when I interned at BuzzFeed, I actually asked, specifically asked him. I was like, I forget what nerd reference that I made. And I was like, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because he gave me a look and he was like, no. He was like, I never knew oh, any God. nerd reference I made on oh. Buffy ever. He's like a musical theater gay. Like he, oh. that's his like passion. And he never knew any of the nerd references he was making. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, it's not any different than the rest of them talking about like, actually that's ancient Babylonian. You know, it's all not right. true. Yeah, <laughs> not, not even, not a language, not a written language, Babylonian. <laughs> right. They're all talking about kind of gibberish. It's just that his gibberish happens to be like sort of a real world thing. It's really funny. <laughs> I hadn't thought about this, but now I'm starting to wonder if that's the reason that he stuck around, which is such a television thing to happen for somebody to break out and for maybe yeah. them, you know, the the people behind the scenes not planning to, you know, to give Colm Meany a name on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of a sudden, <laughs> this guy's got a lot of charisma. Because if I recall, Andrew is a thing, right? Like he keeps, he's in the following season. Oh, yeah, he's in the next um, season. Yeah. yeah. One of the happy yeah. band of warriors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and is designed from the jump to be like a joke disposable character, right? Like he he was initially conceived, the, the trio is supposed to be Warren, Jonathan, and the guy who sicks the hound dogs at them at the, the prom, Tucker. Yeah, his mm-hmm. brother. And they just couldn't get the actor back. And Tucker was supposed to be the main evil one. Mm-hmm. Um, so they created Andrew as a character who was like, literally, there is no episode of his origin. They keep talking about the flying monkeys at the school musical that we never saw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and his like disposability becomes what becomes so charming about him, right? Especially in his reuse in season seven, where he's like, what does he call himself? The guestage. He's the hostage who's baking cookies yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I... I mean, a lot of people feel um, torn about Andrew, but I, I love him. But I will say the thing that I I noticed this time around is watching it. They they do a good job of making us, like showing us that Jonathan does feel bad. Jonathan knows they did a bad thing, but Jonathan doesn't get a redemption even though he feels bad, which I appreciate. But Andrew does, which is like, I then that makes me feel like, oh, I can see why people don't like that, right? Yeah. That he is utterly remorseless and then gets to be part of the club. 
Yeah. 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 And Jonathan, Jonathan does feel remorse, which I appreciate a character <laughs> feeling remorse and then not getting a redemption. Like yeah. I, I like that. Especially these circumstances. Cause that's kind yes. of what the whole thing is about is that these are unforgivable acts. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you buy into the fact that he's, uh, that Andrew's in love with Warren, then like Willow, he had to watch someone he loved die. That's the worst punishment you could ever yeah. experience. Yeah, he gets to be kind of like a, he functions as kind of a travesty of the rest of them, right? Like, even at that level, like his emotional stakes never matter to us. But he can quite correctly point around the room and be like, okay, but you forgave her for killing him and you forgave him. For True. Doing, like, <laughs> so he becomes kind of a burlesque of the rest of them as redemption arcs go. Like, <laughs> Just and it starts, I mean, it starts in this episode, right? Like when they're kind of hostages in the magic shop, they just sort of keep needling everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so um, Xander steals a cop car. They jump in the cop car. Um, I don't know if we all noticed the weird little, like, Buffy's, like, got the door open and she's like, keep going, and then has to just jump in the car, which is like, why are they doing that? <laughs> Um, I think I was just distracted by Xander's ability to steal a cop car. I don't know if I, <laughs> if I blinked and there was a scene where that happened. <laughs> but he does just show up with a cop car. It and might as well be... have been a helicopter. It was just <laughs> <out of> nowhere. <laughs> I got my private jet. Let's go. <laughs> um, but so they get out of here and they get out of there. And then we cut to Clem babysitting Dawn. It's pure. It's nice. Oh, we already kind of talked about it. Nice but... job. Just you, you go, Clem. <laughs> also, I love the idea of him as like, you're very nice Republican uncle who it's like, well, he is the best babysitter we got. So I mean, he'll definitely do it. Like he says to call him anytime. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like that. Um, I, I kind of like their back and forth. Like he's. While he's treating her like a child, he's still not being demeaning, right? Yeah, like, I don't no, think I think he's really respectful of her. I think he's listening to her. But yes. I think he is also maybe the only one on the show that recognizes that technically she is a 13-year-old girl. Right. <laughs> like the phrase that we used yesterday was that it rings true. Like if yeah. somebody who is if somebody who is maybe good with kids and people in theory had to babysit an actual teenager, this is what they would do. Right. Yeah, and that teenager would find it utterly tedious. Oh, I would love to do a Doritos taste test. Like, if we just got like five different bags and we figured out which one we liked the best, or, that's or, fun to me. Or we could go find Racked. Oh God, Rack! Oh my God, sorry, yeah. Rack, the star of Wrecked. <laughs> That's dumb. That's I know it's not this episode, but that's dumb. I season six is the first one where I have trouble remembering what happens in each episode because the titles are so kind of disposable. Like I don't know. Um, Well, don't worry. You can ask me. I've done a whole podcast about the whole season. (laughs) Uh, And then we have the scene of Spike's endless fight with this guy, which I don't care about at all. I think is a real missed beat. Like. We could have at least done some character work here, and instead it's just, here's a muscly man with flaming fists. Um, yeah, it's kind of a waste. But we do get we do get James Marster saying, here we are now, entertain us. 
Yes. Oh, oh yeah. That's, I, yeah, that's, that's kind of worth it. I have in my notes that I often think of Spike saying that. Like, I, I don't know why, but like the way his delivery, the cadence, I just him doing his accent while delivering this Nirvana quote. I don't know why, but like him saying that I will sometimes forget what episode, but I'll think of that. Or anytime I listen to Nirvana, I hear him saying that. It's pretty great. Yeah, I think it's an actor saving a line that doesn't really deserve to be saved. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he, yes. Make, he's making something work. He's making something really cheesy work. It's even for even for Buffy cleverness, it's a little unnecessary. And it's also just not where Spike's, you know, it'd be like the Sex Pistols or whatever, right? Right. Like, yes. Spike <laughs> is, is a thousand years old and the, the era that he is super into is not the early 90s. Maybe he had just seen it in Moulin Rouge, though. Which Maybe, yeah. yeah. Wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> he, had just, he had just seen it. Yeah. I think this plot suffers partly because this they have to suppress what he's doing, right? Like, they don't want to tip their hand that he's actually trying to get his soul back. So he just keeps being like, I want to be restored. I want to be restored. And we're meant to understand. We're meant to misunderstand that the chip is going to be removed. So as much as I'm complaining that there's no character work here, it's like if they did any, I would start to figure out what he's doing, right? They want the last twist of the season to be that he's ensouled. And right? that's a and that's a great payoff. And I thought for sure that because I didn't remember that that was going to be the cliffhanger in this episode, uh, which does kind of make the spike fighting beats in this episode feel unnecessary, as you guys were saying. But I also don't know how else you do it. And it, it does kind of add to the momentum, I think, to have just like a random shirtless fist fight while all the, all the other action is happening. I mean, I mean, that's what like a D story in this episode, right? Like everybody's yeah. doing something. Uh, Ian, last week, did you guys, last episode, did you guys talk about the fact that he drove a motorcycle to Africa? <laughs> Latoya, Latoya Ferguson has said that in almost every single episode this season that she's been on for. She's like, oh yeah, and then at the end when Spike drives a motorcycle to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah fair enough <laughs> like even if he drove his motorcycle to an airport like how how did that happen like i don't <laughs> where was he going i oh, it, fantastic. yeah but i mean also it was the early 2000s uh, you just kind of gotta go with the flow with that shit i feel like well <laughs> i don't know if we do <laughs> i for me this spike i know that you don't love it anthony i like the season no i like the season seven story for spike i don't love this i just but i but i feel like they just needed right like james marsters in the opening credits they have to have him in they can't do like three episodes without him I just, for me, it's like, I don't care. I don't care. Like, great. Spike looks good shirtless, but I just don't care. I don't know. I actually, I now you're making me think, like, would I like this better if the horrible thing in the bathroom happened and he vanished for the rest of the Yes. Season? Honestly, I would have preferred that. I didn't want to take any of this away from you, but I think if this is a season that's about what are we willing to forgive people that we know? Like, where do the goalposts move? If he was just gone for this season, if it was clear, like, there's a goalpost. Uh, yeah, if they try to rape you, yeah, they're gone. The The goalposts still exist. Um, that would make uh, the amount of work that the gang does to justify Willow's actions much more interesting to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it. I think that would be a better. And then it becomes the thing they're talking about, even though they're not talking about it. Especially with Buffy, right? Like, um, 
And then when he returned in season seven, it would be we would have the same hesitance they have where it's like, I don't know how I feel about you being back because it what you did was really unforgivable. And it's like, oh, something's weird about his brain right now. I think that would have been a more powerful way to end this instead of making me watch this fight with a character who I am at the absolute bottom of being interested in caring about right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think they yeah, really I... expect you to just sort of ride out his charisma. And it's where the seam, mm-hmm. the seams start to show. And you remember that this is a TV program. It's like he is in the opening credits. And also he is so beloved by a large portion of the fan base that it's like, hey, we broke him, but we're also kind of not allowed to break him. So we, right. have to, we have to have him play by different rules than Willow while, <laughs> while both <laughs> right. of the stories are unfolding. I yeah I because I mean when we recorded for normal again I think the like placing of that episode is horrendous um but I have to say the guests and the my co-host sold me on it's not as bad as I remember but the one of my guests was a writer for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and he was like the placing of this episode is pretty bad but honestly they probably like they needed a buffer between Anya leaving and Anya coming back. So they probably were like, we got to fill this void with an episode that doesn't progress anything, but still is like in season six. And I feel like that's probably what this was, right? They probably wouldn't have been allowed to not show James Marsters the rest of the season. Yeah. It it feels like a, it feels like a a practical concern. And I don't think that it is, uh, uh perfectly executed by any means but when you do finally get that payoff that he's trying to become a better person uh i remember losing my goddamn mind when i first watched (laughs) that i wish that the road there had been more tasteful and uh elegantly handled but once they once they got there i was like oh shit that's not the thing we thought it was (laughs) yeah yeah But I mean, what it costs is that we don't get to ever play his sense of guilt, right? Because he has to ride this line where it's like he it sounds like he wants to be a monster again. Um, So none of these beats of him fighting this flaming fisted man (laughs) are are allowed to have any kind of emotional range. No, they they process nothing that we are experiencing. It's totally hollow. So so I guess I. My notes say, ask everyone what they felt. I feel this is the weakest link. So I guess we're all in agreement. The spike parts are the weakest. Yeah, it's just kind of action for action's sake, I think. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I do kind of hate this part. I think it also gives a false notion that, um, you know, if if you do something terrible, like uh, try to rape your friend, um, that the path to redemption is you drive a motorcycle to Africa right, right. and you fight a monster, I guess. Yeah. That's like, that's not, that's not actually how it works. Like, you know, maybe you do therapy, like yeah. you, you, you really think about choices you're making in your life. Maybe, you know, you, you try to work with some other people to help make them better. Maybe you accept that that friendship is gone. Like Bojack Horseman does a much better job of this. Yeah. than Buffy does. It's very, it's very TV-ish, and it's very of its time TV-ish. The idea that a yeah. that a bad man can beat himself can be redeemed up. by fighting someone really exactly. hard. Can, yeah, can use violence to get the girl back. Yeah. So the a, a thing that actually um, 
the thing people get mad at the podcast for the most is Xander Hate and Spike Hate. And when Kirsten Oh, you hate Xander and Spike too? Me too. <laughs> oh, thank so, God. So wait, so Anthony and I actually probably liked Xander the most of anyone who is a regular on the podcast, right, Anthony? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I was watching this clutch of episodes and he is quite horrible is. in I kind of this rewatching season six with you for the podcast has really made me notice that Xander actually seems to have a drinking problem on the show. Like he, he offers Buffy a beer in this, ep- in the previous episode, like, and it's clearly like noon and she points it out. So he is, but he is very unlikable and he is sort of the site of some of the misogyny that this season is about, right? Um, his, his quickness to blame Buffy for a lot of things is horrible to me, but yeah, I, I grew up loving Xander. I really did. Um, I identified with him as a kid for sure. Uh, I, I, so I, I love him in the way that I love the show where it's like, I think the show is a sum of all its parts. I think it works well because of all the parts I think in season six is I'm a little bit more forgiving of him in earlier seasons just because he was a teenager um, and was like supposed to be a kid, you know? Right. And now there's some big 20 something. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They like age them up, but they're still only 20, but they're supposed to be like 30. Um, this is when I find him unforgivable. Like once he leaves Ani at the altar, the way he acts for the rest of the season until he saves the day at the end, uh, I find him like reprehensible. Um, but I I don't know. But I, Spike, I'm the only reason I'm able to forgive in my brain, like move past this, is just because I'm like I can say that this is a TV show, and I don't think this was well written, and that's why you know like I can keep moving. Yeah. And of course, if in real life, I'd be like, no, I fucking hate him. Of course, I do. Right. Well, I think but that's like, to what Daniel was saying earlier, where it's like, I mean, sometimes you just have to pretend you didn't break a character that you broke, right? Like, it's true in comics all the time, where it's like, well, we're just not going to talk about this this storyline, because if you thought about what that character did, then you could never like them again, right? Like, you're, <laughs> like, you're very frequently writing characters who have committed, like, multiple genocides. It's like, <laughs> we'll just not think about it. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's not what they're for right now, right? You both do write for Mar- Marvel, so I guess I could see how that would be a. a th- I'm, every time the X Men forgive Mystique, I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, Daniel's working on Loki. It's like if you look at some of the Loki stuff that he's done over the years. If you really thought about it, you would be like, "It's unforgivable to think about this character." But that's not how humans work, right? Like our sympathy is just going to be with wherever the story lingers, um, and they kind of pull it off i mean the fact that people get mad at the podcast tells you everything right like if you if you are as charis someone tweeted like last week that like a morally gray person is someone who does bad things but they're hot and that's kind oh, of true oh, right? oh, <laughs> oh, that's oh, that is wow. like that's that spike is like he says he calls our protagonist a bitch all the time but oh, i'm sorry i hate spike person. is everybody else still attracted to spike oh, i, like, I never liked him I i'm sorry he's i mean i'm giles all the way forever but yeah i've, I've never gotten the attraction to spike he seems like a mean person who wears a motorcycle jacket and i guess that's <laughs> enough what a great villain <laughs> it's a cool leather trench coat Oh, it okay. is. It's a cool coach. <laughs> I have said this numerous times. I interviewed him in person and he looked me in the eyes, touched my shoulder, and I was like, oh my God, I'm in love like I was when I was 18. <laughs> uh, no, I get I get it. I 100% get it. Uh, I understand why he, why his role got larger and larger with every passing second. Yeah. 
But I also understand why you would fucking hate him. Like for me, I'm like, I'm garbage and I'm a problem. So I'm, I love Spike, but I, <laughs> I understand hating him. But I mean, that, that duality is actually what the show is interrogating, right? Like the fact that yeah. we as an audience are attracted to him, even though he's a terrible person, is what the show is about, right? Yeah, so that's it's like, another it's subject wrong. becoming the text thing in this season. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. what if we actually did fuck that guy? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so I love that now we both we all just spent like time talking about Spike when it's like we're talking about how we didn't like these two minute scenes and now, <laughs> see, we're all we're all falling for it. Yeah. Um, we get why they. So did we it. get. Yeah. So we get Dark Willow on the Mack truck chasing them through whatever highway or whatever. Um. I kind of like it. I feel like it's like a pretty big. Uh, for them, for like what they were at that point, a pretty big budget like stunt to pull off. Like she's on top of a truck, it's racing. They're having a car, mm-hmm. you know, Very chase. Terminator too. Yeah, yeah, we have yeah that in, uh, in our notes yesterday that it's like that's a full on set piece that feels like something that they knew was coming earlier in the season that they had to budget for, which is like kind of impressive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I also do think that Trek's thing is an interesting Xander moment in this episode when uh, I can't remember who, maybe Anya pointed out to him that like your friend, I'm not sure she's your friend anymore, Xander. She tried to run you over with a truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Xander's still like, it's fine. Still my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. So she, uh, there's a scene that I think is weird uh, in that, that I want to point out before we get to the magic box, though, because I do like that whole talk. Uh, Jonathan kind of knows what's going on, and he's like, oh, she's draining, and Xander's like, she's whatting? And it's like, but you know what that is. Keep going, Xander. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of this episode that assumes you haven't been paying attention to the whole season, though. Like, even the recap is like, well, maybe you're just joining us for the end here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh (laughs) Um. Well, back then it was like, if you missed an episode, you missed a fucking episode. Yeah, I remember yeah. I hadn't, right. I didn't see the body till it reran on FX like a million years ago, a million years after. Um, so do they get Anthony? Is the next beat them at the magic shop? I think so. Right. Um, well, they they spike fight, spike fights the action figure, and then mm-hmm. Don and Clem are sort of stalking the streets looking for Rack. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. And then and then they're back at the magic shop, and then right. there's the discussion about how that's where um, Daniel was talking about the moment where. Uh, the goalpost has moved, and now Jonathan killing Jonathan is a step too far. <laughs> they sort of <laughs> they sort of discuss that. Um, I I like the magic box scene. I like a lot of the discussions going on there. I the only thing that does a little bit bother me is that Jonathan and, and Andrew really could help them, right? Like I, when he's like, no, it's when he gets to tell them that it's Sumerian, not whatever they think it is. I he. I mean, he can help them. I understand why they fucking hate them and don't want them to help. But it's like this is these are circumstances when like whatever, just get help wherever we can. That was confusing to me as a viewer because uh, it really felt like the the way television shows are written is this is the moment where they prove their value. And right? Yeah. Instead, <laughs> they never do. Yeah, that was like a weird half measure where they and then they're like, "Go sit down," and then he does, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of that thread. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this running beat where there's no reason Jonathan's not their friend except that they just don't like him, right? Like he knows <laughs> he knows everything about their lives. He could just as easily have been in every episode until now and they just never include him. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's yeah, actually that's isn't that what Buffy says at the end of Earshot when Giles is like, Oh, well you could go to prom with him. She's like, What am I saying? Buffy? He's five yeah. feet tall. I'm not yeah. gonna prom with him. Yeah. <laughs> He's he would make a good friend for Xander. They both have nerdy yeah. references. He's like in some ways a foil for Xander that just like never gets to be part of the yeah. group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's that episode way far back, right? Where um, it's an episode where Jonathan casts a spell or something, and yeah, uh, he's the most pro- popular person in their friend group, and uh, everybody just really admires him. And Buffy wants to date him. Yeah, yeah. season four. Yeah, yeah, I love that episode. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so they, Buffy leaves. We don't really know where she's going, but then we. I think the next scene is uh, Dawn and Clem actually getting to Rack's place. Uh, Clem kind of disappears the moment she goes in that room. Well, first she kills him, right? First Willow has oh, the scene with right. Rack. Like we're he, we see Rack responding to someone walking in the room, and we're meant to think it's Dawn, and it's actually Willow, who then like eats him, <laughs> whatever, or whatever she does, yeah, and pays uh, off the strawberry stuff. And like obviously, this is again like another male abuser that is right. being punished, like. There's stuff there. It's just, it's like protracted and creepy. (laughs) And not, it's not well, like, because when Dawn walks in, she's scared and she says, did you kill him? And Willow says, believe me, it's an improvement. So like, she did kill him. It's like, we never address that she murders more people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, killing, killing people is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We should have talked you about a counterpoint. We got no, 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 full stop. That's, that's my goalpost. <laughs> it really, see, this is the thing. It really, I've talked about this before, but it really isn't mine. Like, <laughs> we we've seen Buffy be willing to kill humans before. Like, she killed Gwendolyn Post. She was willing to take out Faith if she had to. Like, occasionally Buffy will decide this person has to be killed. She killed the zookeeper in season one. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> so she. The Knights of Byzantium. Yeah, yeah, she killed like fifty guys in one episode chasing <laughs> the, the the car. So it's like, yeah, I, I think that's when I was complaining about it. It's like I would like it to be like, when is it okay to kill? If it's like, if Rack was human, well, he's doing things that the police can never respond to. Buffy does not have a fully operating jail. Maybe Rack needs to go. <laughs> So if you wanted to give it probably too generous a reading, there is a very there's a very interesting idea here with uh, with Buffy and and Willow and the sort of double standard that I, I don't I don't think the show is really exploring. I think this is all just my head canon. But in an episode that is ultimately about whether or not Willow is jealous of Buffy's power and the way that they both use power. You could make the argument that it is okay for Buffy to kill. Buffy doesn't think Willow is like cool enough to kill. Oh, <laughs> oh like that, and, and that that headcanon explains away a lot of the inconsistency, right? That like this is just that Buffy has given herself to be uh, given herself permission to be this kind of like superior person, and right. that's and that she sees Willow in this little box, and then. Oh. Theoretically, the episode becomes about Willow calling her out on that. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm going to go along with that theory for a second. But Buffy has also had years and years of magical training about how to be the Slayer, what it means to be the Slayer, the history of slaying. Um, that's like the difference between someone having gone to medical school and like being able to fly <laughs> open right. someone's chest right. and do things in there and me just going like Temple of Doom and just like reaching into somebody's chest and just grabbing it. Oh, yeah, and okay. Right. Doctor and saying like, well, if you can do it, why can't I? Okay, Jennifer, yeah. I respectfully disagree with your argument that Willow hasn't read enough books. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You have to do a lot of homework to be able to kill people. Yeah, I think Willow's there. Anthony, I think we need to leave. <laughs> well, I mean, it is the question the episode never really. I think the best, the best version of this Buffy ever manages is in Selfless, the season seven episode where Anya, as a vengeance demon, is now killing people. She's responsible for that frat house all being dead, and Buffy is like, "Well, it's time to kill her." And Xander correctly is like. Well, she's a person, and just because she's a demon doesn't mean she's not a person, and you're constantly moving these goalposts. And I think this episode never quite, mostly because I don't think the writers, I think the writers are all on different pages about it. And I think I think the Willow, Willow Dark Willow storyline works best when it's like, we have to stop her because if we don't stop her, she will be lost to us. And that's the concern. The thing Jen is talking about where it's like, how much latitude do you give your friends? Ultimately, the latitude you can't give them is the latitude to hurt themselves. But it's at its weakest where it's like, this is the line and the, the police will handle this. It's like she just tore the fucking jail apart. Yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> we literally watched for 10 minutes as she showed the inadequacy of the police. And now you want us to be like, oh, no, this fatuous guy who wouldn't even unlock the door should definitely be the arbiter of moral justice in our universe. It's like, that's not true. So, <laughs> Rack so, should be dead, and I'm happy about it. That's right. <laughs> so we then get this. This is where I have an issue with Dark Willow is the way she treats Dawn here. I feel like they were a little bit leaning into like we know the audience kind of feels this way. Let's have Willow say it, and I just don't feel Willow would have ever said this. I just. For me, this the snarkiness even I can buy because it's like, oh, well, she's going toe-to-toe with Buffy. She's got to also have the snark. So I'm like, all right, I can buy that at the end that she'll have quips as well. But I just, I don't know. For me, if I were Dawn, and Dawn is, you know, arguably, depending on where you, what episode you're watching, she's either like 13 or 15 here. I would be really fucking pissed at my sister's best friend who tried to turn me into a ball of energy. I don't know that I would get past that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think that I would hold on to that forever. Uh, And it just feels like a little too cruel. I don't, I realize that also in the next episode, she tries to literally end the world, but it feels like this is like the slight that Dawn would have a lot of trouble getting past. I don't know. I don't know that that's the point that feels a little too cruel. And I do feel bad for Dawn. I, is true because um willow and dawn aren't really friends themselves like i can buy that xander has such deep love and friendship in his heart for this person from way back that she tried to run him over with a truck and it's fine that's just your older sister's friend yes yeah <laughs> like, you don't really have any ties there 
like she's closer with Tara, arguably, than yeah. she is with Willow. Like yeah. Tara's like her cool aunt. Right? Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the watchword of this episode, I, the thing that all of our discomfort, uh, I think, keeps coming back to is is just inconsistency. Like they don't they don't really have a set of rules that they're playing by. That includes, you know, like who it's okay to kill, uh, you know, everything involving Spike, and now whether uh, Willow is like a mustache twirling villain as she is in the scene with Dawn, or whether there's some, you know, or is she in this uh, passenger in her addiction to magic as she is in some moments in this, uh, or is she, you know, is this really her and she's just a bad person who is coping with something it's it's just kind of whatever whatever the scene needs is where they kind of gravitate to yeah i think my frustration with it is that it could really be the linchpin for the self-destructive arc that's about to happen like because her sympathy she knows dawn really loved tara and if her logic in this scene had been the world is suffering wouldn't it be better if i just unmade you led her to then be like, well, then maybe the whole world needs unmaking. And that becomes the expression of her grief. And in the sort of twistedness of this moment, her grief is manifesting as like the most compassionate thing to do to someone is to make them not exist anymore. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Especially then Tara is the focal point. You you could say, you know, I am going through what you are going through. I would like to relieve you of the pain that I am feeling. Exactly. And I think that would be so much stronger than the snark is if like, because Dawn, we just saw that Dawn spent the night with Tara's corpse. It's like, there's like a real, she really is the site of mourning in a way that, to be honest, neither Xander nor Buffy really register that Tara is dead. Like, no one seems that broken up about it, actually. Um, And it would have been nice if this was the moment where we see Willow's scope of what she's going to do change. Um, I think would have made this a stronger beat here. It is, it, but it also seems to be actually the opposite thing has happened where they've now decided our sympathy is not supposed to be with Willow. And that's why she says all these terrible things to Dawn. And we're now meant to understand that she's going to be the villain of the piece until the end when Xander like insists upon her redempt, redempt, redemptibility. Yes. But so then, and I do love Buffy, bursting in saying i think you need to get away from her i think that's like really good and even even buffy feels a little too forgiving here of like oh you were just about to like destroy my sister um but again i get it it's like her and xander and willow xander and buffy they grew up together they've been friends forever blah 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 but i do love her running in she's just you you know that there's a fight coming right like you you know it's there but it just hasn't happened yet Willow is veiny now. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I forget. When When does that, like, it turns in this episode, right? It's At because some point... she fed on rack. So now she's, oh, like, right, right, suddenly right. she oh. has this, like, veininess. There's also, That's if you like... think about it for three seconds, at some point in her deep grief, she had three costume changes like why does she why does she keep changing her outfit (laughs) i think only two anthony uh oh that's true she changed out of the white shirt into into the the black black, the the slouchy kind of butcher look and now she's in the lacy like um goth moment yeah that's true two costume changes which is an outfit she wore earlier in the season before she went evil did she really that's yeah in uh 
one of the like episodes that has nothing to do with her and Tara where they have like a brief encounter. It might have been dead things. It's like they have a brief encounter outside the magic box where Willow tells her she's doing a lot better and hasn't done the magic. She's wearing that exact jacket. I have that never she's wearing. Oh. I like that the costume department was like, okay, we need her to have this final look. We need to make it as minimally silly as possible that she has this outfit. So we'll establish yeah. she has it earlier. That's cool. I like that. And like, I love that she's wearing it in a scene where she's talk- telling Tara how good she's doing and how she's oh, off magic. Oh, like, really like, that has to be on purpose. Yeah. I only noticed it this time going through the show when I was like, oh shit, that's definitely the jacket she wears later. And everyone in the episode was like, yeah, that is. But so then we go back and we get the Xander and Anya talk, which I wanted everyone's opinion, especially you, Jen, uh, because I think it's really well written i just am not sure what they're trying to say and i'm never quite sure in these last few episodes what we're trying to say about xander because they're both airing everything xander's playing the victim even though he's the oh, one that left her yeah um look I, <laughs> okay um i, I <laughs> give it to us <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> I love Anya. Um, I think Anya is a fascinating <laughs> character. Uh, she is a thousand years old. And somehow she decided to be with a man who insists on treating her as though she is an idiot child. Um, I, I think that relationship is one of the most frustrating ones on the show for me. Because to me, it represents... I, I don't know if you have also found in your life that oh my god sometime, yeah. oh my god so many so many right yeah you know this guy like, doesn't even brush his teeth like, yeah. exactly your friend has like a phd in astrophysics yeah. and she did a year with doctors without borders and her yeah. boyfriend wore like a t-shirt to yeah. Yeah. to his mom's wedding yeah and, <laughs> um this guy's using two-in-one body wash on his hair, girl. What are you he doing? He doesn't believe in using shampoo. Like, he just decides he doesn't like it. Yeah, no, it's like, we all know some female friends who are in that relationship. And I think it immediately made me so attached to Anya, like, regardless of any of her flaws, that I keep wanting to jump into the television and be like, <laughs> you can be a history professor. You yeah. saw the whole Russian Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> you may have caused it, actually. Yeah! <laughs> Your views on economics are so interesting. <laughs> but, that's, but that's compelling to me, right? Like, the, the unlikeliness of it. I always liked that it wasn't this sort of, you know, uh, friend's thing where all the romances kind of settled into the path of least resistance. I liked that they had these two, uh, you know, they, Buffy had these kind of archetypal characters and they introduced a new kind of personality and it was a thousand year old hyper-capitalist demon. <laughs> and, and then pairing her up with Xander felt uh, very interesting to me because it was like, there's a dynamic that doesn't exist on television. Like I'm very interested in the the decision to pair these people together, whether it was like convenience or curiosity or whatever it is. And then as a result of that, we do get this really fascinating, like sophisticated hindsight about it being a very typical woman too good for her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who never sees her value and leaves her at the altar i'm sorry that uh that whole storyline just destroyed xander for me i i like him just fine through the earlier seasons um as soon as he leaves anya in the shittiest way possible this woman who he was never good enough for to begin with uh it, it just fuck that guy fuck that guy forever. <laughs> 
I do like that she seems not to have decided how she feels about it. I yeah. feel like that's very human. Like she yes. does have one of my favorite lines. She's like, if things get really bad, maybe you can propose again. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she just like is. I've been there with an ex where it's like I think I hate you, but I need to figure it out, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, part of that she... is structural. They're clearly saving all of this until next season, but. Um, it is a good conversation in an episode that doesn't have a lot of actual human conversations. Yeah, because the episode doesn't have a lot of plot advancement, but I feel like Anya and Xander kind of get at least... So, I mean, I don't know that they're advancing it, but they're at least like airing their grievances and their feelings, which we definitely needed from Anya, because in Entropy, Xander is absolutely despicable the way he gets mad at her for fucking Spike, as if she's not allowed to fuck anyone she wants. Ever again. And- like, good for her. I bet it was the best sex she'd had since before she dated Xander. We all like, agree that Xander's bad in bed, right? Like, oh, absolutely. She just doesn't know. It's just so clear to me that this is like the first boy she met in a human form. He yes. thinks this is normal. He has never gone down on her. Uh, <laughs> that would explain so much about their relationship. <laughs> that never, but I like this is her first human boyfriend. This is her first human boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> because she does, I like that she brings up all of that and Xander puts it in on, oh, I saw my friends get shot. And she's like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us. And then when he's like, well, you, you know, you laid on that table with Spike. And she's like, yeah, that was solace. Yeah. And I like, it should end in like, you fuckhead. Like, <laughs> that's how I want her to end that sentence. <laughs> but I'm like, glad we at least, even though I don't know that Xander quite gets like lands there in the right spot, he should, at least we get that conversation that we needed to have. Right. Like I needed Anya to stand up for herself. To him, even even if you're right, Anthony, I don't think she's decided if she hates him or if she still loves him or if she wants him, wants, you know, Willow to blow him up. But I like that we at least get that. So then we get um, Buffy and Willow's confrontation in Rack's sanctum or whatever the hell it is. I think this shot is weirdly really well done where it's just like circling them and then suddenly they're in the magic box. Yeah, I like I like the visual presentation of magic on television in that way. I like using uh, like weird little practical effects and sort of disorienting feelings to show something that is intangible instead of um, the sort of cherry picking of after effects that they do in other parts of this episode. Like here, she does kind of like uh, Star Wars lightning, you know, or here she right, does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought this was the place where it felt the most like this is like. Oh, like this is a witch. This is what a witch does right. to you, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I do like Willow talking. She says how like we cut back to them, and Willow, Willow's giving this speech about how Tara's the only one that made her feel special. Uh, and you know, she gets a few of those towards this end here. But I think I don't know. It always Allison Hannigan sells it. I mean, we all have, right, like, Tara was a lovely character. There's, I don't know who would hate Tara. Uh, so it for me, it hits the emotional beats it needs to, of, like, this is someone grieving who just also happens to have crazy superpowers, so they're, like, taking it out on everything. Uh, which I guess counter counteracts my, why would she talk to Dawn that way? I Maybe I just proved myself wrong. <laughs> well, as I said, I like the dissociation here where she talks about Willow as a third person 
like Willow's a junkie and the only moments she mattered. Like, I think that's that particularly rings true. And also like the episode really has to decide how it's going to treat Willow's like eventual annihilation of earth. Um, And this moment is the one I would point to as like, okay, she's clearly like fully dissociating from herself. Well, Um, I think it taps into a kind of self-loathing that's always been there with Willow. That's kind of been there since the beginning where she can't believe that somebody as cool and glamorous as Buffy wants to be her friend and she doesn't really think that she deserves Xander as her boyfriend. And there's a lot of that for Willow's entire life as we see it. And I I think um, part of this episode and part of Willow's um, through line in this season is what happens to someone when they can't see how loved they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the dark, dark place that that can lead you to. And maybe that's why Xander's stupid Xander love saves her in the very end. Uh, Jen, you've got me thinking about the way that Anya and Willow are kind of versions of each other here, where it's like, what if you let the other person define who you are? And in Anya's case, the dude is completely worthless. And in Willow's case, the person was lovely, but all the work of figuring out who you are was never done. So as soon as Tara's gone, it's like, well, you're back to thinking you're worthless. You're back to not having the coping skills you should have, which makes it more tragic and makes it read as much more sad here. But um, it's kind of a version of the same thing that Anya will end up processing in season seven, where it's like, I have just never stood for myself. I have grabbed the next thing. I have always been like the person who defines themselves through this troll guy and through Dauphin and through <laughs> capitalism, right? And like her selflessness as that episode tries to deal with is kind of the, a mirror of what Willow's problem is too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my poor Willow. Um, so <laughs> they teleport there. Um, I, I, I love Willow's uh, you boys like magic, huh? Abracadabra. And just like firing her Star Wars like lightning. <laughs> uh, you know, we... I, I I like that they're all kind of like so Buffy and Dawn pass out because of the teleportation, whatever. And I like they're all kind of just standing there watching her and they're like, oh shit, like she's our friend. We don't really want to fight her and we kind of hate them, but we don't want her to kill them. And they're kind of like twiddling their thumbs for a little bit while she <laughs> attempts to kill them <laughs> it is i think there's a directing problem happening here too where it's just like she's literally just standing there like yeah couldn't we at least have her striding towards them or any kind of menace whatsoever no just like <laughs> really makes you wonder why they were going through all the trouble of, of reading all that ancient babylonian if they weren't gonna hear them leap into action which ultimately ultimately anya does as a reveal right, right? like yeah, she does yeah. help but in that in that moment you're right it is oddly like well what are you gonna do she's here <laughs> this was the thing we were trying to avoid <laughs> and we failed but we're here now so whatever <laughs> i i like the buffy and will when buffy steps in and is like i don't want to hurt you willow punches her through that like magazine rack and then Buffy comes back and is like, but I didn't say I wouldn't and like punches her through that glass case. I one, I really love this fight. And two, I love when this show is like, we're just going to smash the shit out of this set we're using because we don't need it anymore. Like when they blew up the library, like I, that always works for me. Like I love blowing up a set. That makes a fight so much more fun for me. <laughs> it's kind of how network TV tells you that this uh, is a big deal. 
Like yes. it's it's sort of a way of saying like, hey, the status quo will be different after this. Yeah. So they have that. Dawn and Xander and Andrew and Jonathan run out, and then that becomes the weakest point of next episode. But uh, they run out, and when Willow and Buffy are ha- when Willow's like, this is such a big deal for me. I don't know. I I can remember watching that and being like sitting on my floor, being like, holy shit! Like, I don't know. I think it's I think it's great. What does everyone else think? <laughs> yeah, this was this was a highlight for me too. You can really feel, I think, the excitement in the creative team in this moment, where um, it's a little, it's a little uh, not, not hokey. It's a little confusing where um, the Jonathan and Andrew are protected by some kind of enchantment. But then Willow's fix is to make herself strong enough to fight them. <laughs> Nobody considered she might physically touch them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a weird little it's a weird little script loophole. And then you realize, oh, that is just so that that is just so that uh, Buffy and Willow can finally have a big drag out fist fight, uh, which makes I think everything else weird about this episode and indeed this series kind of worth it. Because why, you know, why be on the air for six years if you're not eventually going to have Willow fight Buffy? <laughs> like, it's, it's just, even if it was never, even if it was never intended, even if it wasn't some kind of slow build you were working on, it kind of retroactively becomes one by virtue of happening. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, what do you think about it? Oh, uh, the fight scene? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't care about fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. I get nothing from this. <laughs> That's why I didn't ask you, Anthony, because I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was like, well, I already know what Anthony's reaction is. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I love a smash out, drag out fight. It reminds me of Buffy and Faith. It's not, I don't think it's as good as it, but it still has like, you know, hints of it in there if i were drinking it and it were wine i'd be like hmm has a hint of buffy and faith fighting like i i don't know i just love a big like super powered people that are like human looking fighting i don't know always always lands for me <laughs> i do think one of the things that's annoying is why couldn't anya join to help buffy like she should have if i know it's like we get that like oh well she's doing that spell so she can't but ugh, that feels a little to me and that spell is to protect Jonathan and Andrew who have fled. It's not perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the mechanics of, see, I don't know what they're fighting about really is what is what makes this not as strong as the faith and Buffy fight where it's like, what exactly is Willow trying? She's basically just sort of gleefully beating on Buffy here, which fine. It looks cool. And I like, <laughs> I like watching the magic shop get trashed, but it's like, I thought this was a piece about grief, you know? So it's like, mm, I don't know what we're servicing here. I don't know. I think that I like- they kind of decide, and it's the thing I said earlier about, you know, it's it's the inconsistency with, among other people, Willow, is that it's whatever that scene needs to be. And I think, the, I think maybe they wanted to have this fight and they worked backwards because in this moment, it definitely no longer feels like it's about Willow's grief. Um, it really feels like it's about the sort of unspoken um, uh, you know, self-esteem imbalance between them and the, the stuff that Jennifer was saying about Willow's self-loathing. And the I think the, the fight is kind of justified by the 
the line and the delivery of the line, oh, Buffy, you really do need to get every square yeah. inch of your ass kicked. Yes. <laughs> that line earns them the fight because in that moment, I can let myself kind of forget that this episode doesn't know what it's about. And suddenly it's about the nerd girl and the popular friend fighting because she's been in her shadow this entire time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, before and after the fight, that's not really what this episode is about or, you know, like <laughs> yeah. what their relationship is in this moment. But if you want to have Buffy and Willow fight each other and you deliver that line beforehand, it's like, oh, I get it. She's finally like, you've had this coming a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was already sold on the fight, but you just sold me on it. 10 times more. You're right. Yes. <laughs> so I don't love that Willow kind of beats Buffy for me. That doesn't like, I don't think while she would give herself the strength, maybe, maybe she empowered herself with glory type strength. I just don't think she would be as skilled enough of a fighter to actually defeat Buffy, but whatever we need it because then we end on, which I think is such a good moment, you know, She's like, there's no one in the world power enough okay. to stop me now. Um, okay, wait. So wait. Here's, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> Tell me. The, the Giles reveal at the end kind of doesn't work for me because I love Giles. He's my favorite character on the show. So happy to have him back. But <laughs> it would be like if all of your strongest friends had tried to beat someone up and failed and then your history professor from high yeah. school. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. There's nothing that Giles has done that indicates if Giles was capable of stopping the biggest evils in the world single handedly, that he has fallen down in every other season. <laughs> like, he has just, I guess, been deliberately dropping the ball and letting yeah. teenagers get themselves killed. <laughs> It also breaks the axle of the whole drug metaphor. It's like, oh, but Giles can just, Giles can take some super heroin and he'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And even, even at like, as we were talking about, like a season that is so much about misogyny should not have your dad show up to save the day at the end. Right? Like, I don't, at a thematic level, I'm the same. It's like, I love seeing Giles. I lost my mind when this happened when I was a kid, but I don't know what it means, you know, like at a, at a thematic level, I'm not sure what we've said here. And it gets very confused for me when it starts being about like, I feel like the whole magic, you can like lend people magic and you can suck people's magic out. feels very charmed to me in a way that Buffy never was where it's like, that was, yeah, that was meant to be a dig. I hate charm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like when Daniel was talking about like the coolness of the the spinning teleport earlier, it, when it becomes like everyone's just shooting lightning at each other, it's like, ugh, like what are we really doing anymore? <laughs> I'm right, being Daniel. a This is one of the few episodes where I hate it much more than you, I think. I know. I don't think that's ever happened, Anthony. <laughs> Normally, Anthony convinces me that I like episodes I don't like more. And I'll be like, all right, you're right. I do. I do like this more than more than I thought. I like when people sit and chat about their feelings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but to be fair, Anthony loves Double Meat Palace. Like he couldn't wait to get oh, to that Double episode. Meat Palace is great. Double Meat Palace is a really yeah. fun episode. Yeah, that was top ten. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love their quirky little departures. 
Yeah. Well, I, I can't wait for the three of you to start your Buffy podcast with together. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, where do you land on this Giles okay. <laughs> intro so, at the end? So it totally, it totally worked on me. I can dispute none of your facts. I can dispute none of your, I can dispute none of your real world, like storytelling logic and none of your Buffy world internal logic, but the, the, the Giles advocates, uh, argument <laughs> for this working is that among the many things that this episode is like kind of sort of trying to be about is also who in your life are you allowed to disappoint? And uh, Willow and Buffy are peers. And that's a different power dynamic than a father figure. So when, when dad shows up and saves the day, it totally undercuts all of the anti-misogyny messaging uh, because you know he is this sort of like paternal figure who just pulls a big lever and makes well, stop. But why? I mean, Giles is also a reminder that good men exist in the world. Uh, yeah, no, like good. in this season of men being terrible um, and Giles being absent, uh, Giles is a consistently non-toxic figure in their life. Yeah, he's no, just um, he's compassionate and kind and helpful and lets the women in the show make their own decisions and supports them. Like he is the perfect father. So, so with that also in mind, that is the person that Willow doesn't want to be seen. Yeah. Like this in that moment. Yeah. This is yeah. the worst person to walk through the door. I can see. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not, you know, it's very flawed, <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, getting caught, getting caught, uh, behaving like this by somebody that you respect is different. Mm-hmm. You've got me thinking. And there's this really. This is very nerdy. I'm, I'm now Jan- uh, Jonathan and Andrew. But like, there's that famous Green Lantern cover where the Green La- uh, Green Arrow cover where he like opens the door and his sidekick is like using drugs. He's uh, a junkie. And it's like, yeah. And it's that moment. It's like, oh my god, someone kicked open the door and I'm seeing as in in my great shame right there is something of that here whereas the other characters have all been like practicing this quite important compassion for willow throughout having someone be like i told you not to do this and you did it does have a certain kick in the gut to it yeah Yeah. he's a party figure you know for for uh, it's muddled uh the you know the role that an authority figure has in this story uh, but uh, between that and just the the real time punch of that face being absent from the screen, it totally worked on me. Daniel, I'm so glad that you're on my side for this, <laughs> and that you again sold me on it being. I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah. that's a better reason for someone to be sold on it than my reason was. I'm excited to see Giles. Well, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of that. Like, you know, how much of it's a it's a show about a vampire killer. Like, how much of this is just me trying to retroactively intellectualize all of my emotional reactions? <laughs> <laughs> And I think I love Giles so much that I'm willing to buy that even if you're imbued with magic, I mean, and I just critiqued this two seconds ago and I'm like, well, just because Willow gave herself strength doesn't mean she knows how to fight. But I can buy that Giles just being imbued with magic with all of his studying and all of his books that he would be like, I know the best way to use this to stop Willow. But I mean, to be fair, he does fail, right? Like he fails. He gets there and she defeats him. And I mean... He hopes that she has compassion and that help that eventually happens, but he does fail, right? Like she bests him in the fight. So I don't know. I'm I'm I I'm willing to buy that he gets magic and then he like knows how to properly use it. 
don't yeah, know. my my feeling with this, and it reminds me a lot of the the reveal of Oz when Oz returns, uh, which I think is is a cold open punch rather than a cliffhanger punch. And I think that Buffy was a really important show to me as somebody who wanted to learn how to write television and uh, learning the lesson that as much as you love these characters, that's not the point and that's not how you make a good TV show. You have to think, what is the worst thing that can happen to these characters you know, at this moment? And I think Buffy was a show that tried really hard to do that and that it was often very effective, especially on a young audience. And Giles showing up in that moment is kind of the worst thing that could happen to Willow, who is otherwise very conventionally powerful. Hmm. All right. All right. Um, are we, we're done, Anthony. Right? Just like the sound of me going down some stairs and slamming a door. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's it. I mean, the only other beat is really the, the we already kind of talked about is when Jonathan like stops Andrew from holding a sword to Xander's neck. Oh, right. That's about it. But and again, right. like oh. that is a very confused the the quasi redemption of Jonathan is an ongoing and muddled project that I'm not sure ever quite completes itself. Um but yeah, that's about that that is it. I mean next next time is sort of the big fight. I this question of like who can kick whose ass, I think this goes back to Daniel's point where it's like they've already done the biggest ass kickers up to season five and now we have to move laterally. It's like I I take as given that Willow will is as exactly as powerful as they need her to be. It's like a dark phoenixy level threat as much as Buffy can summon such a thing, and it has to be about something else. It has to be about how do you save the day when you can't just punch it to death. Um, so I worry less about the like mechanics of like is Willow strong enough to punch her or whatever. Um, and in fact, I get quite bored when it becomes about like oh no her power is running low it's like i can feel the like meter moving on her like mortal combat battle screen. Yeah. Like, i don't <laughs> this isn't what i'm here for um but yes it is that is done and now the pink magic and the green magic will fight next episode and whatever can't wait and then the the yellow crayon speech that's what it's about um can't wait to cry while we're discussing next episode um <laughs> all right so since we're at the end here uh jen would you like to give us your favorite outfit of the episode Ooh, i like anya's outfit i think something i like about anya is that her clothing choices usually have a little bit of a retro twist and i think you see that here with the peter pan collar and like the wide leg pants um and i'm into it and in a way it makes them feel more timeless to me than the other characters who are wearing like very circa 2000 clothing. So yeah, <laughs> yes, so, they really um, are. Pretty, pretty consistently Anya's outfits are my favorite. All right, uh, Daniel? Uh, we, we both, I, I think that these are both shared favorite outfits because we talked about them in real time. And the other one that Jennifer pointed out uh, that, I will, that I will steal is the uh, matching cat burglar suits for uh, <laughs> Tom and Andrew, uh, who Jen uh, accurately pointed out are uh, classic uh, Audrey Hepburn and Funny Face. Yeah, uh, they're, they're the the sexy beatniks in the, yeah. the village cafe. They're just gonna do a little dance. Yeah. They're gonna yeah. give you a Fosse number. Yeah. Yes, at any given moment, they might break into jazz hands. <laughs> I love that, Anthony. Uh, as I said, I'm fascinated by like the weird semiotics of Willow's outfits throughout. Like, 
and I'm you've talked me to liking it even more. I just like thinking about it. I like thinking like, okay, I'm gonna go absorb all the books in the magic shop. Then I'm gonna go home, change into a, a darker outfit, <laughs> and then start killing people. So I just like to think about that. So I think it's got to be the like semi Ren Fair goth look. She's what she's working at the end. All right. Um. And Jen, I agree with you because I love, love, love Anya's. For me, it's like a little bit of, it's like retro, but a little bit of Wednesday Adams. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'm taking the Peter Pan color. I would, I would wear that tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so favorite scene, Anthony? It's such a weird, I like Will, the Willow is a junkie scene as much as it is flawed. And I, as much as I feel like I want to take a red pen to it. I like her having this weird dissociation and watching Allison Hannigan sort of play grief through this kind of apocalyptic. It's a scene the episode really should be about. So it's my favorite, I think. Um, I mean, I was so effusive about it earlier. The the fight between Buffy and Willow, which feels earned to me, even if it's this totally retroactive, you know, <laughs> uh, instantly earned uh, thing. Uh, I don't know if it was any kind of real culmination, but uh, to me, it's like having the two good guys fight as equals. I'm just a big sucker for it. Um, yeah, I know I said this earlier, and it's such a minor scene, but that scene of Anya at the jail trying to politely talk the gatekeeper <laughs> into doing something, and we'll blasting through that jail is, um, to me, such a fascinating fantasy of what it would be like to be a woman and have power. But but honorable mention, I really thought you were going to say the Doritos taste test with yeah, Oh, yeah, me no, too. I mean, look, I'm sorry. I, I felt like I raved too much about how, like, Glenn is just such a wonderful person, and I wish we could all be friends with him. But... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for me, it's Willow and Buffy's fight. I just, I love it. I love it. I feel like it's such a big deal. I mean, Willow says that, but even for me as a viewer, I'm like, <gasps> I mean, we've seen everyone fight, but we've never seen them fight even in normal again we see her beat up xander but we don't see her we don't actually see her beat up willow willow's just in the basement tied up uh so yeah i i love it i'm a sucker for a a big like i'm sucker for a fight scene that has reason not just like oh she's fighting a demon it's like oh there's a like this is her friend there's an emotional there's emotional baggage coming into this fight and for me that's the kind of actiony fight scene that i love um okay now we're gonna grade the episode uh Daniel, what grade do you give it? A, a nice clean A, no plus or minus. Uh, I think that, uh, especially for this season, um, I think this is when, uh, even though it was clearly like a, a mad dash to the finale, uh, I think that there's just so much going on that it ends up being really satisfying. All right. Uh, Jen? Yep. You know, same one. I would give it an A. Um, I mean, I think especially now that you've sold me on the Giles twist at the end, I think uh, I think those are really good points about that. And yeah, I love seeing every character in this. And honestly, I'll give any episode with Clem and A like <laughs> just a joy to see. Uh, Anthony, I feel like I've been a downer this episode, and I'm gonna continue. I think it's a B for me. It's like a it. I want to fix scenes. I feel like scenes, I like the intention behind more than the execution. Um, and I feel I like... It's still a good grade, Anthony, though. <laughs> B? I don't know. I, I I think it's one of the lowest I've ever given. I, I, don't, I think it is. I don't think I've ever given a B before. <laughs> uh, 
I like I and we've talked about the elements that I like too and like you guys have convinced me on a lot of things the Giles reveal it's just like I feel like I feel the furniture being moved on me a lot this episode in a way that I want a finale to sort of land perfectly and like ineluctably and it's just like okay well Anya can't do this because of this and they have to do this because of this and there's a spell to do this and it's just too much furniture moving for me all right yeah for me, I think I, I, I literally put B plus slash A, and I'm not sure, still not sure where I land because a B is still a good grade, but I think maybe I land on an A because, Jen, you said, I mean, there's so much going on, but it's all like pretty enjoyable to watch. Uh, so I don't like normally that might bother me if there's too much plot going on, but I feel like it's all working and it's not hard to keep track of either. And you know, even with Spike, okay, so we get you know, five minutes of him fighting an action figure and it doesn't matter, but it's short enough that it doesn't really bother me that much. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think maybe I land on a, on an A, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us and thank you all for listening. If you like the podcast, you can find us on social media at SlayerFestX98. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, um, and other places, other corners of the internet. If you like us, feel free to subscribe to us and rate us. We have a Patreon that really helps keep this podcast going. And if you want to follow me on social, I'm at Ian X Carlos. Uh, Jen, where can everyone find you? Oh, uh, you can find me on at Jen Ashley Wright on Twitter or JenAshleyWright.com on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you like reading about women in history, um, because Anya is not real and cannot tell you about them, uh, please buy any of my books on Amazon or at your local bookstore. And Daniel, where can everyone find you? I am at Kibblesmith uh, across social media, and I am at kibblesmith.com. And I also have stuff uh, on Amazon or your local bookstore. <laughs> Anthony, where can everyone find you? I am Mia Koopa, terrible Latin joke, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A, um, pretty much on everything. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> I really, I really like that. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's a good joke because you always have to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you all for listening and thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.